This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Well, Happy Easter, Happy Passover. Uh, for Orthodox Christians, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, and the start of Holy Week. Spring is in the air. The Jays are one and three, off to another slow start. So all is as it should be, I suppose. Uh, we are getting set to talk undersea UFO bases with Preston Dennett. Uh, in the second hour, psychic Angela Thomas will be here. Let me introduce the, I was going to say the boys in the band, but it's, uh, <laughs> well, let me just uh, go right ahead. we got a few lineup changes for you. Ian is uh, not here. Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend, is actually in Las Vegas, I believe, this weekend. And he is uh, performing in a rockabilly festival in Las Vegas, Nevada, on the same bill as the killer, Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, stepping in for Ian on the Fender Telecaster is Sebastian Hearn. Sebastian, welcome aboard. Great to have you with us. Uh, Albert and Ryan are off tonight for Easter, taking a a well-deserved Sunday night off. So it's just me and Sebastian and uh, all of you. Uh, That means no live YouTube stream tonight. No live YouTube stream tonight or next week. We will resume the uh, the live YouTube streams, or HOAs as they're called, in two weeks' time. Uh, next week on The Conspiracy Show, just a quick programming note. Uh, real live superheroes. Reser- researcher, author uh, T. Krulos will be uh, with me. And um, it is, just as the name implies, these are real life superheroes. This is a fascinating subculture that he's researched. These are actual people in large cities across North America and, uh, uh, well, in Canada and the United States who, who don homemade superhero costumes. They take on new identities and they go out into the mean streets and fight crime. Or in some cases, they just lend a hand, help homeless people. Uh, and that's, um, it's, it's a absolutely remarkable 
little uh, subculture that he's tapped into. And then in the second hour next week, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be here to talk about saints. Rather appropriate, given the uh, the time of the year. Uh, particularly, uh, we'll, we'll delve into relics and incorrupt bodies. These are saints, martyrs, for example, that have been exhumed after being buried for many, many years, and they are. Their bodies are essentially intact. They are incorrupt. We'll also touch on uh, miracles as well. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Hey, if you're a fan of rock and roll and dark mysteries, I'm pretty sure you're going to love my new podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Uh, it's it's available just about everywhere. Uh, just Google it and subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday at midnight. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's part of the uh, Jericho Network. You've heard of Chris Jericho. And uh, in association with Westwood One. And there's, of course, uh, the other one, Conspiracy Unlimited. That's my other new podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can listen and subscribe at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. All right, for a hundred years, strange activity has been occurring off the Southern California coast. Mile for mile, this area is one of the top producers of USO reports. USO reports in the world, drawing on first-hand testimonies from the Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, police officers, lifeguards, residents, and many others. My guest, Preston Dennett, presents a compelling case for the possible existence of an undersea UFO base. Sightings of weird lights, anomalous glowing clouds, strange objects filling, um, filing in, flying rather in and out of the water, mass UFO sightings, encounters with humanoids—all are here. More than ten years of research presented here for the first time. The truth about this area can no longer be denied. Something very strange is lurking in these waters. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, the author of 13 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal, and his latest, Undersea UFO Base, an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina Channel. Preston Dennett, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well. You know, this is amazing that this, uh, it's gaining attention, but there, there hasn't been a whole lot written about it. It's certainly not sort of compiled in one book. Were you surprised because, uh, you know, have you, as you've delved into this, sightings off the, south co- uh, the coast of Southern California go back almost 100 years, and yet not a lot has, has been compiled in one volume like you've just done. Right. You know, and I'm actually a relatively latecomer. I got involved in 1986 after hearing a report on the news and I immediately started hearing reports in this one area found out that all the other researchers were already aware of it. You know, people like Ann Druffel, who's a pioneering researcher in this area, uh, Robert Stanley, Bill Hamilton, others. So, yeah, it was already a well-known hotspot before I even came along. How did you find out about, um, uh, this is a great name, Wisher, is it Serve? <laughs> survey. Survey. Wisher Survey. Yeah. Great name. And and uh, he... 
he was compiling, um, I guess, eyewitness cases going back to the 20s and 30s. Right. You know, I'm a big fan of the old books on the paranormal because there's so few of them. And he had this one that you know talked about UFOs over Mount Shasta and a little bit about underwater UFOs off the California coast. It was the earliest report I could find uh, that was you know real solid. But he talked about witnesses who saw these craft um, going out to sea, and they would rise up into the air and come back down to the water. Um, clearly not normal aircraft. Well, I mean, there were no aircraft at that time. No, well, not not a lot. Anyway, there was, right, I suppose, right. some. But and and they didn't have, they didn't use the term UFOs. I think they called them strange boats. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which which makes sense. I mean, the whole idea of extraterrestrials wasn't even that popular in the 1920s. It wasn't something people were really thinking about in terms of astronomical phenomena. So, uh, the term USO. Uh, what is it? What does that acronym actually stand for? Yeah, that's Unidentified Submersible Object. It's just like a UFO, except you can't call it a UFO because these things aren't flying. They're in the water. Right. Um, And probably a lot of them, I'm thinking, uh, not just in this one area. There's other areas that are well-known hotspots. But for some reason, this area, I have to tell you, there's nowhere on Earth like it in terms of the number of reports and how long it's been going on. So describe the... um this channel. Sometimes it's referred to as uh, the uh, San Pedro uh, Channel. Sometimes it's referred to as uh, the the, um, the Catalina Channel. Just to give us a sort of it's pinpointed on the map for us so that we can visualize it. Right. It is technically called the San Pedro Channel, but it's more popularly known among locals as the Catalina Channel. Uh, it's the body of water that lies between Catalina Island and Southern California. Uh, it's up to a mile deep in parts, includes the Santa Monica Basin, uh, the whole Channel Island area is part of this complex, though it's not technically the Santa Catalina Channel. But this body of water stretching from about at the north end, Santa Barbara, that area, straight south down a couple hundred miles to past Malibu, past Santa Monica, down past Venice, Manhattan Beach, Long Beach, down towards there, really, I mean, all the way down to San Clemente is where this activity lies, but it's mostly active in this, right near Catalina, between Catalina and uh, the mainland. You have a map in here showing the uh, approximate distribution of UFO sightings um, in this area. And, uh, I mean, there there are dozens of cases here, but do you have a handle on on roughly how many in total there have been going back to the 20s? Um, Well, I mean, the ones I was able to document, I found at least 70 solid reports of these objects over the water, which aren't technically USOs, but it's clearly the same phenomena. And I charted those on a map, and I also charted the, honest-to-God, USOs. And by that I mean people who've actually seen these things in the water, floating, maybe right above it, or underneath surface, or coming in and out, and I found an additional seventy. So that's you know 140 reports in this one area. So, but my feeling is you know one person in a hundred reports their sighting officially, and I'm not sure it's even that much. So any numbers of you know how we're estimating how common this is, they're vastly underestimated. 
So 1% of people who actually see one of these things. Now, is that across the board in ufology, or is that just in particular to this region and this phenomena, USOs and Southern California? Are we talking generally only 1% report UFOs? Generally. That's been my experience over the years of doing research. I always ask people that question, did you report this? Did you call the police? Did you call UFO organization? Almost never have they. It's more common now, but nobody does, really, and uh, particularly if it's a dramatic encounter, they don't, don't report it, not even to their family and friends, honestly. And this has become, I don't want to use the term common here, these sightings of USOs, but it has become kind of this, a thing, I suppose, that's what the kids are saying, it's a thing, where you go down yeah. to the beach and you just wait for these strange lights to show up. It's become, it's almost like the Audubon Society for bird watching. Right, yeah. I, you, you know who Merrill Fankhauser is, that guy who wrote the song Wipeout? Yes, yes. Um, I contacted him because he got involved in this. He Turns out he heard about these sightings and said that, yeah, he was invited down to the beach to watch these UFOs coming out coming in and out of the water, he declined to go and look at it, but said, yeah, it was a common thing. I mean, this has been going on throughout the 50s and 60s and 70s, real strong, and it's a couple of solid reports every year, pretty much. All right, Preston Dennett is with us. Undersea UFO bases. That's where we're heading. If you'd like to get on board, we'll make the phones available to you. Maybe you're down in Southern California, listening in on one of our affiliate stations. Or you're elsewhere, but you've seen one. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll continue to delve into this fascinating sort of subset of the whole UFO arena, if you will. Preston Dennett stays with us. Hope you will as well. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Well, here's a new set of initials for you, USOs. Not unidentified flying objects, but unidentified submersible objects. Discs, saucers, strange craft seen coming out of the water, flying into the water, off the coast of Southern California. And uh, this is down on the uh, sort of the San Clemente, uh, um, I guess up as far as what, Santa Barbara? The Catalinas, the, uh, the Channel Islands, I guess, are off Santa Barbara, aren't they, Preston? Right, right. That's the north end of where a lot of this activity is. Right. Catalina is a great viewing point. Rancho Palos Verdes, um, all along the coast. I mean, the, the Pacific Coast Highway runs along this area, and can't even go a couple of miles without someone seeing UFOs from some point on the Pacific Coast Highway. And in, in order to qualify as a USO, 
Um, because as you you know, you take great pains in the book to explain that it's got to, you know you have to have it seen coming in or out of the water. Sometimes UFOs are seen hovering above the water. Some are seen in the general vicinity of water. But you want we're talking about discs that are actually seen flying out of the water or flying into the water. Correct. Right for UFOs in most cases. I did expand it a little bit because I mean there were cases of unidentified floating objects. There was one lady I interviewed, she's driving along the Pacific Coast Highway through uh, the Santa Monica area. Um, she's not driving, she's in the passenger seat, her friend's driving. She's looking at this light that's floating out there on the water, which doesn't look like a boat. It's too bright, it's just this bright round light. And she points it out to him and says, look at that, what do you think that is? And the second he looks at it, it goes straight up out of the water, up into the sky and disappears. Um, so what is that? Exactly. That, I, that I qualify as a USO because it was touching the water. And there are a few cases where these objects are so low over the water that it's affecting the water or lights reflecting off of it or, you know, the water's frothing or something. Those I'm going to qualify as USOs as well because it's too close to call. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, a couple hundred feet up, then, no, I'm going to have to call it a UFO, even though we know this is the same thing. Right. Right. You know, it's interesting. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be uh, talking about Shag Harbor, Canada's celebrated UFO ah. incident. Probably, well, I believe it's sort of, it's it's billed as the the only officially documented UFO case because, there, there, I mean, there is a, a government paper trail talking about it. Right. But it, But technically, when you look at the details of Shag Harbor, it's a USO. Yeah, it's a great case. A lot of witnesses, official documentation uh, went on for quite some time. Uh, really um, an undeniable case of a USO and proves that, again, this is a worldwide phenomena. I was contacted by someone who had, saw a USO off the East Coast, someone who saw, saw one off the, on the Bermuda Triangle area right near there, someone who saw it in a small lake outside of Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, so they're everywhere. Have, have they been tracked underwater by submarines or Coast Guard vessels? Uh, have they been you know, tra- tracked on... Sonar? Um, sometimes. There's n- not a whole lot of cases of that. I did talk to one guy who was an electrician's mate on the USS Klamagor, uh, and he was on board, on watch, when a USO showed up. Uh, he was with another guy who was on watch, another petty officer, the captain and the second-in-command. They were on the surface, booking at about 12 knots up the East Coast. This was back in 1971. And mind you, the USS Klamagor carried nuclear missiles. And he's, he was on other subs. Nothing ever happened. As soon as he gets on this one, this USO comes zooming up from the stern at about 80 knots, he said, very fast, and started pacing this submarine for a good 15 minutes. First thing the captain does is asks him, you know, what are the radar guys got, the sonar guys? And he asked, and they had nothing. They had no evidence that there was anything out there, uh, but it, there clearly was. They could see it, it was, you know, 50 feet off the side there, uh, maybe 50 feet deep. They couldn't quite tell, but huge, at least 30, 50 feet across, very bright, totally silent. And uh, what happened was one by one, the, the higher officers came up on deck because they wanted to take a look at it before this thing went away. And uh, that's what they did and then went back below deck and eventually this thing just moved off at about 50 knots, he said, and gone. 
second in command turns to the captain and says, well, how do I uh, record this in the log? And the captain turns to him, you know, according to Ray Sachs, the guy interviewed, the captain turns to the second in command and says, people who record incidents like this do not move up in rank. <laughs> there you <laughs> well, go. Assuming it wasn't officially recorded, I have to guess that it was reported, you know, under confidential channels, because, I mean, that's why they're there, to look out for, you know, Precisely. strange craft that are invading our, our space. Precisely. Or our waters, as the case may be. Right. Right. Great case. Guy was a, an amazing witness. I was able to verify the crew list. He was on it. Are they targeting boats, do you think? For example, you know, f- there are a number of stories in, in your book about fishermen, shark hunters, and so forth. Are, do, they, do they play chicken with boats out on the water? Yes. It's definitely a pattern of behavior I've noticed, um, both with the UFO, UFOs in that area come flying across, and then they'll see a boat and hover right over it. There's a couple of cases like that. Uh, one pe- some people actually called, I believe it was the Coast Guard, who, or the local military who sent out a plane. But by that time, the object went away. But yeah, more cases uh, where these objects will come right under a bow. There's an excellent case which occurred in, uh, let me see, I believe it was 1983 or so, to a senior electronics engineer who's out there in this exact area. Santa Catalina Channel, sort of more toward the Santa Barbara end, and sees this light coming towards him under the water. He stops because he can't identify it. It's pretty foggy, and he's not sure if it actually is under the water, and discovers that it is, and goes right under his boat as if targeting him. And his electronics go haywire. His compasses are spinning. He said he was actually petrified because this thing was much larger than his boat and a very bright, bright green and then moved off. So uh, there's a number of cases exactly like that where they do target boaters, um, but no one's been harmed in terms of you know, not in the boats. There, there is one case involving a plane crash. So uh, Tell me about that. Tell me about the plane crash. Yeah, this, this segment actually appeared on Deep Sea UFOs. I'm not sure it was one or two, but uh, they called me up after hearing about my research, and that was one of the cases they brought to the table. I hadn't heard of it. It involves a gentleman by the name of Noah Felice, a pilot who had taken off from Catalina Island with a friend and sees this object floating on the water, which looks unusual. It's round, and there's a strange-looking figure standing there. And he circles around for a better look when it shoots up a beam of light and strikes the plane and essentially causes it to crash. There's some indication that uh, the pilot had missing time uh, but they're not quite sure how he survived the accident because he was underwater for a pretty long time before they rescued him. Uh, an interesting case. It's not one that I was able to you know, do a whole lot of research on, but and there's so many cases in this area that it starts to make me wonder. This is kind of my first data point towards is there perhaps a base in this area? Right, right. Sheer number of cases. Well, you mentioned Rob Lowe because um, I guess they renamed his show. Uh, it was when, at least on A and E, I think it was called the Low Files, and he's traveling around the country with his two sons. And Rob was obviously, you know, growing up, I believe, probably a big fan of shows like Coast to Coast. And uh, in fact, the theme song for that show is um, "Don't Fear the Reaper" by Blue Oyster Cult, which was a regular sort of piece of bumper music that Art Bell used on Coast. So, right. uh, and one of the episodes uh, was they chartered this this big uh, vessel. And they went out looking for 
the, a possible UFO base off the coast of, I'm guessing, of Malibu. Is that where you think it might be? Yeah, the Malibu anomaly has come to be known as. And uh, I have to tell you, this came late in my research. I've been researching this area since 2006 in terms of you know, documenting the USO activity. And there was no mention of this at that time. First person who actually found this on Google Maps was a, a researcher by the name of Robert Stanley. And he kind of noted it, but it was another who used Google applications and Jimmy Church, who popularized this and uh, yes. went viral. My colleague on Coast, yes. Right. So uh, it went viral at this point, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is interesting, because this is, you know, I charted the sightings of U.S. hose already on a map, and here, lo and behold, this anomaly is right smack in the center of it. And uh, I put a whole chapter, you know, on this in the book, uh, so there's quite a bit of information out there about it already. Uh, and with the Rob Lowe files, they went down there, sent a submersible, and found no evidence of artificial construction. According to mainstream geologists and you know, skeptics, basically, it's a natural fault phenomenon. It's called sycamore null, and uh, there's nothing unusual about it. But if you look at these images, there is a very flat surface and columns, huge columns in what appears to be a tunnel. However... That depends on which Google images you're looking at. Some show this tunnel, some don't. The columns are not as uniform as you might think, and the flat area on top isn't really super strange enough to really call this artificial. So I'm a little on the fence about it, but I'm like, wow, you know, this is exactly where all this activity is going on, and it looks like there's a tunnel there. Well, it doesn't have to be artificial. Uh, it could yeah. be, there, you know, there are natural occurring caves and caverns that end up being used because they they just, they do the trick. So uh, that, That's what I was thinking, but I have to tell you, I was contacted by a number of people, three or four at least, and some who, you know, I place some credence in, they seem to be pretty high-level whistleblowers. Uh, they said that there is a tunnel that leads out from this area, comes from... Area 51 originally through under the United States to uh, Edwards Air Force Base and right out towards the this channel. They didn't say specifically where it was, but I wonder if this is the tunnel that you know, I've been told exists. So it would a craft would enter into the water off the coast of Malibu, enter into this tunnel, and then travel inland hundreds of miles and come up by Groom Lake, I guess, or, or, or the area, Area 51. Right. Can't prove it. It's just one of the accounts I did collect, and it makes me wonder because there's another unusual thing about this area. It's not just the number of reports, not just this Malibu anomaly. These are all kind of data points that are pointing towards the undersea base. But a third data point that really had me scratching my head were about three or four cases involving not one or two objects, which is usually the case when someone sees a USO or UFO. Um, maybe even a dozen objects is not that unusual. But I have three or four cases involving over 50, or actually in a couple of cases, uh, 200 objects. 200 objects seen coming out of the water? Right. I mean, this is what happened. I mean, the first case I got on this was the June 14, 1992 wave over Topanga Canyon. I ended up writing a whole book about it. It got in the news. It was a huge event locally. And uh, I inter I've interviewed probably 30 people 
who've seen UFOs on that one night, all in different locations, up and down the coast. And the best interview, you know, some of these people saw one or two objects, a couple saw up to a dozen. People were being chased down the highway. It was a huge night. And I found this couple that live high on the ridge that overlooks the Santa Catalina Channel, and they were drawn out early in the evening out, outside their home because objects were coming up from below. Normally when someone sees a UFO appearing, you know, it's a star-like object, and it zooms down. This is not what people were describing, particularly this couple. They said they saw first about maybe 10 objects. And we're like, wow, you know, what's that? Is that military? Hmm. And they went back inside, but it happened again. And when it happened a third time, the whites started to count the objects. And this went on for two hours or so until they finally went inside. And like, that's enough, because she had counted 200 objects. And the husband's like, he was nervous about that number. He says, well, you know, could have been about 100. And uh, you know, I was interviewing face-to-face, and I bust out laughing. Because 100, I mean, my God, that is enough. Oh, yes. I mean, right? What's the difference between 100 and 200 at this point? Um, she was very upset. She called the police the next day, as a number of people did. Um, and the police got a lot of calls that night. I'll bet. Listen, Preston, we've got to take a quick time out. We'll come back. And um, I wonder if any of these people called into the um, National UFO Reporting Network with Peter Davenport. I'll ask Preston that when we come back. Stay with us. Undersea UFO bases. Unidentified submersible objects on the uh, Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Of course, this time of year, you can't turn the television on without seeing The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's epic movie with Charlton Heston. Uh, and so the mighty Aphrodite tweeted this meme out. I thought, I think it's just brilliant. Great picture of... Um, the man himself with his long white beard, and uh, it says, technically Moses was the first person with a tablet downloading data from the cloud. <laughs> All right. Preston Dennett is with us. We are talking about unidentified submergible objects. His new book is Undersea UFO Base, an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina uh, Channel. Uh, I was just asking as we're heading into the break, any sort of corroborating not evidence, but reports from when when people see these craft flying out of the water or going into the water. Uh, is Peter Davenport, for example, getting getting uh, people calling in, writing in at the National UFO Reporting Network? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a number of reports in the book did come from New Fork. Um, not a whole lot of corroboration 
in a, a lot of cases, but it does happen. I mean, there was one case involving a landing with humanoids uh, in Playa del Rey. This was back some time ago in 19, gosh, 50, 50s, I believe, where three people were driving along the Pacific Coast Highway and their cars all stalled at the same time. And they see this UFO had landed right there on the beach and a humanoid get out. They're dressed strangely. They look strangely, but are otherwise human-looking. Uh, and uh, try to talk with the witnesses in an unintelligible language, of kind of a strange contactee case, and get back into the UFO, which takes off. It became a pretty well-known case and was reported in a number of UFO books. But what I found was some corroboration, because on that day there was a bunch of reports in Long Beach and some involving Air Force pilots were chasing these objects. Uh, the police received a bunch of calls just, you know, about 50 miles away on the same day. So not great corroboration, but definitely intriguing at the least. How about for you personally, Preston? Have you uh, gone down to the beach and seen one of these USOs? <laughs> well, I have gone down to the beach. I uh, have not seen USOs, you know, proper. I've seen a number of UFOs in this area. I'm out there tromping through fields, usually anomalous lights. Um, I did have you know, some really strange experiences during the Topanga Canyon wave. I remember I was driving, this was through Woodland Hills, which is adjacent to Topanga Canyon, and this ball of light came right up to my windshield. I'm telling you, it was a foot away. It was not a reflection, not a bird or anything uh, conventional. This thing just moved back and forth in front of my windshield, maybe three times, dived down a little bit and went straight up, this round, glowing ball of light. And it targeted my car, came right up to me. Uh, so that was probably one of my best settings I've ever had, really. Mm. Uh, Catalina Island is, uh, there's, a, there's a Boy Scout camp there. There's a, there was an right. incident, was that back in the 80s? Um, there, well, you know, it depends which ones you're talking about. I've got like five plus cases involving groups of Boy Scouts. Uh, there was one really interesting incident in 1952 involving 300 Boy Scouts and 50 scout leaders who saw a metallic UFO in full daylight, hovered there for five or 10 minutes, darted around and moved off, and they ended up all writing written statements which they sent to March Air Force Base. And they did get a response from, I believe it was Commander Charles Bicking, who was running the base at the time. Uh, but there was no official investigation. But, but yeah, a number of Boy Scout reports, a uh, really amazing recent one in 2016 uh, involving a witness I was able to interview. And he's another one of these cases involving hundreds of objects. Uh, so, yeah, there's something about this area, I'm telling you, that the UFOs and USOs are really into. When they, what do witnesses say? What do witnesses say uh, about how these craft come out of the water? Uh, do they come out at incredibly high speed? Do they slowly emerge? Maybe float on the top and then take off? How do they? How do they emerge? Um, there's a baffling variety of reports, which is a little, you know, disturbing to me because it's hard to categorize. But generally speaking, seeing a USO come out of the water is the rarest type of USO sighting. The most common being seeing objects come diving in at high speeds and not crash, just disappear into the water. Um, but there are a number of reports where they do come out of the water. 
Um, there's one report which I thought was kind of interesting. This guy's down at the beach and is looking at what appear to be buoys in the water, but they all have lights on them, which, you know, is not terribly unusual. There's a number of places where there are light buoys in this area. And he's thinking, well, that's what they must be, even though they looked a little unusual. And one by one, they went, rose up into the sky and took off and kind of a slow at first and then fast. So there's all these different varieties, not only of how they're moving, but really, I mean, what people are seeing. There is cylindrical craft. There are saucer-shaped, you know, a classic saucer. There's square-shaped, anomalous lights, glowing clouds, spheres, manta ray-shaped ships. Just, it just goes on. This glowing blobs? Glowing blobs? Yeah. There's like five cases where these objects are dropping what looks like molten metal or something into the water. There's a very famous case, Maury Island case, in a 1947 involving these kind of donut-shaped objects. And this is where they were the dropping material in the water. This is exactly what these other people were seeing in this area. Hmm. All right, Preston, hold on. We'll come back. I want to talk to you about, uh, t- talk to you about well, we'll dial it back to 1942, February of 42, and the Battle of Los Angeles. Right. Could that been, have been the, uh, the case of a, a USO? We'll discuss on the other side. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Psychic Angela Thomas coming up after the top of the hour right now Preston Dennis stays with us for a few moments yet we're talking about unidentified submergible submersible rather unidentified submersible objects his new book is Undersea UFO Base an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina Channel uh, so just a couple months after Pearl Harbor obviously uh, the United States particularly the West Coast is on very high alert fearing yet another uh, attack uh, from Japan, and uh, the early morning hours of February 25th of 1942, strange lights in the sky, one particularly large one, uh, they, um, artillery opened up on this thing, I don't know, something like, what, what was it, 1,400 rounds they fired at this thing, and, um, well, what do you think, was, is that a, a USO we're talking about? Um, well, I mean, it's close. This is one of the earliest sightings. It's interesting because it does involve multiple objects. Um, there's speculation at the time it occurred there was Japanese planes, which clearly wasn't, because they had one of these things hovering for over an hour right over downtown L.A., which was right now on full 
black owl. So, uh, yeah, it looks like unidentified objects. I talked to first-hand witnesses, a couple of them, uh, who were very young at the time, but said some of these objects actually came quite low uh, as they were moving in, and they came from the water area, and that's the way they left as well. No one saw them go any other area. So this is the same part of this sort of complex of cases uh, involving multiple objects coming from this same area, and that's one of the earliest. Uh, what about the the, um, the Queen Mary? Now that is that is that uh, docked in is that Long Beach? Uh, right. Yeah, it's now locked. You know, docked there. You can go there and visit it. It's a, yeah, it's a well great tourist ha- great tourist attraction. Yeah, it's it's haunted reportedly. Um, oh, right. Yeah, I've so, been there. It does feel haunted. I was able to photograph an orb in the haunted swimming pool area. Um, neat place, and it's right along the water there, and. Not surprisingly, there's a report right um, there, actually, from someone who went to the Queen Mary for this kind of uh, tourist attraction. And as they were leaving, saw like five objects, multicolored, in a circle. So it was plain as can be that these were classic flying saucers, not ours. Really shook her up, kind of, pretty bad. Um, left a deep impression on her. And uh, that they darted off. She was one of the few people who did report, I believe, to New Fork or perhaps MUFON. Uh, but most people, again, don't report this stuff. The video that was released recently uh, from the USS Nimitz fighter, fighter group, this is uh, off the coast of San Diego, of these uh, craft that are flying very low uh, to the surface of the water, uh, some have said that they were, they resembled drones. They were doing, you know, incredible maneuvers, incredibly high speed, nothing that we supposedly have. Um, no doubt you've seen those videos, and this was sort of all tied into the whole um, um, advanced aerial uh, threat investigation project, ATIP, and it was written about in the New York Times back in December of 2017. Uh, what, what do you make, if you've seen that video, what do you make of it? Are we, ta- are we looking at probably another USO here? I think so, yeah. I'm excited about all these recent disclosures um, that we're seeing. I know the military is aware of this. All this activity is right in the center of a very populated area. Uh, there's a lot of military in this area. There's Point Magoo Naval Base at the north end, uh, Seal Beach uh, Weapons Station at the south end, San Clemente Island, totally military-owned. Uh, it's my understanding that they're fully aware of at least the rumors of a base is what they've officially said. Uh, I'm guessing that they're much more well aware of it based on the number of reports where people have seen these objects being chased by military. Um, I'm pretty certain it's not military um, for a number of reasons. Uh, One being that people who have been taken inside these craft are not seeing humans. They're seeing gray-type ETs or praying mantis-type ETs. Secondly, uh, this flies contrary to military practice to test craft, you know, test by their advanced aircraft over people and chase cars down the road and, you know, scare the wits out of people. That's just not how the military operates. Um, And furthermore, there's a lot of cases where these objects are being chased by military. A number of the witnesses are military themselves are baffled at what they're seeing. It's been going on way too long to be military, and as far as like the cases involving hundreds of craft, I would 
be very surprised if our military has that number of advanced craft in one area and are willing to test it in full view of, you know, very surprised citizens. So I don't think it's military, but I do think they're aware of it. And I think they're trying to find a way to disclose this whole mess bit by bit. But it's just a big pill for people to swallow. Have you interviewed abductees who believe they've been inside this undersea base? Yes. Um, there was one particular case which kind of was one of the tipping points for me to think, well, you know, there's something going on here in terms of an undersea base. Because this gentleman, great witness, a pilot, a medical doctor, his wife is a doctor, a uh, nice guy. He, as a child, was on Catalina in Avalon Harbor, a uh, teenager with his friend, and had just bought some comic books and went, was going to go read them in the boat. And they got to the boat, and boom, it's the next morning. He had missing time. And his parents just kind of poo-pooed it, said, no, nah, you must have fallen asleep, uh, which really upset him because, no, he didn't. And he had further encounters at his home in Tarzana, California, and uh, continued to have sightings throughout his life until finally he started to realize, you know, perhaps he's having contact. Finally decided to go under hypnosis to explore this missing time incident, and he recalled not being taken into a UFO, which is, you know, what I usually do here. I hear, you know, people, they describe rounded walls, being put on a table, this type of thing. Uh, he said, no, it was underground. There was rock walls. It was a pretty big area. It wasn't gray-type ETs he saw. He saw something that was more insectoid, he said, uh, more praying mantis-looking. It was wearing a little white cloak. Uh, he was not afraid. He was kind of put to the side and sat on this bench while his friend uh, was taken to another area and appeared to be the target of this contact. But yeah, couldn't say he was underwater or underground or where, but it was a cave-like area with rock walls. So he's presuming this is underground somewhere near this area. And uh, he's not the only report like this. There was another lady, a photographer. She's written a book about her experiences, Ken Carlsberg. Um, she was abducted into a UFO a number of times, and at one point was taken to what appeared to be a, an underground area, a very vast kind of chamber, which she, again, couldn't tell where it was, but it didn't look like it was inside a UFO. As so, you point out in the book, these are not only coming out of uh, the ocean or the sea, that also there have been incidents where these craft have been reported coming out of lakes. Tell me about Lake Mi Mikusuki. Mikosuki. Yeah, that's a case in Florida. Really interesting uh, case involving these two people who live very near this lake. I uh, had been seeing a bunch of UFOs in the area and decided to go boating on this rather large lake. It's pretty shallow. It's got lots of uh, lily pads in it and other growth, which kind of makes it not perfectly clear open lake. Um, they were out there and uh, suddenly see this object dive down into the water. They see another boat out there. He does not appear to be reacting to it. And they watch this light go right up under this other guy's boat, who doesn't seem to see it. And then it lifts up, as I recall, and come, goes back down and comes straight towards them. And they said it happened so fast they didn't have really a chance to react other than, to, you know, pray that nothing was going to happen to them. It scared the living daylights out of them because they became very disoriented at this point. I think they may have had some form of missing time. Um, they're not entirely convinced of that. 
but the next thing they realize is they're in a different part of the lake and they're moving along and there's another boat right next to them who does not seem to see them and they're very disoriented and immediately go home uh, a very strange encounter but they pointed out that this object was moving it so fast um it was way faster than anything we could do and furthermore I mean, this lake is filled with growth so they couldn't understand how it was getting past all these lily pad type things right right you know the implication here obviously is that these who's ever piloting these things they're, they're not coming from distant galaxies they don't need to you know traverse hundreds and hundreds of light years to get here they are here and perhaps always have been what do you think I think it's a possibility that we can't discount because we know sightings go back quite some time. Um, I think it's unprecedented, really, the levels of activity we're seeing now in terms of you know, people who have been taken on board and sightings and landings and this sort of thing. Maybe we've just become more aware of it, but I don't think so. To me, it looks like a, you know, an uh, escalation of activity. But uh, hard to say. I do think that there's a good possibility there are undersea bases and have been for a very long time. Uh, at least since 1947, because that's when the Navy started detecting some weird undersea reefs moving around in the Northern California area, and actually tracked it down to Southern California, off the coast where it disappeared. I'm wondering if that's when they started hmm, constructing this thing, because that's when the you know the modern age of UFOs began. This kind of super wave swept swept across the U.S. The Roswell crash, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, and all this stuff. Right. And then we also have uh, Operation High Jump down in the Antarctic, where Admiral Richard Byrd went down, supposedly, to uh, sort of, I guess, scout out locations for a, um, a U.S. Antarctic base. But the, the, official, the unofficial version is that he was negotiating with uh, the Germans down there, who had right. uh, moved their base of operation, the Nazis, rather, moved their base of operation after the war to the Antarctic, and they, they were in joint, I guess, in, in some sort of a cooperation with aliens down there. So, yeah, and we know the military has a number of underground bases under, I mean, it's not just Cheyenne Mountain Complex in Colorado. And there are a few whistleblowers who say that there is, in fact, an undersea naval base in this area and that ETs do visit there as well. So perhaps that's where all these reports are coming from. Uh, I just know it's not all military. There's no way. Well, I think there's at least a couple more volumes uh, in this series, uh, Preston. Congratulations on Undersea UFO Base, an in-depth investigation of USOs in the Santa Catalina Channel. Appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you on coast. You got it. Coming up, psychic Angela Thomas. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft. 
that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to all of you listening in to this uh, transmission via our flagship station, Zoomer Radio. That's 740 on the amplitude modulation band and 96.7 on the frequency a modulation band. Hi to all of you listening somewhere down the line on one of our affiliate stations across North America from Alaska to Texas and Missouri to Montana. Uh, those of you who listen via the Conspiracy Show and Zoomer Radio apps, both free downloads. Those of you who catch us on the uh, the podcast, uh, the YouTube live stream, of course. Uh, incidentally, no live stream tonight or next week. The live the YouTube streams resume in two weeks' times. Two weeks' time. Uh, so however and wherever you're listening and watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, Ian is off. My young rockabilly friend in Las Vegas performing at a rockabilly festival, sharing the same stage, I'm told, with Jerry Lee Lewis. Not at the same time, but uh, perhaps they'll rub shoulders. And we have a Sebastian Hearn sitting behind the console tonight, this morning, twisting the knobs and dials. Both Robert and or Ryan, rather, Ryan and Albert, are off. So again, no live YouTube stream this week or next. The live YouTube stream returns in two weeks, but we will post the audio on the YouTube channel. And please take a moment and subscribe if you haven't already done so to the YouTube channel. We're trying to get to 10,000. I think we're around 7,200. I also want to remind you about the podcasts. If you're a fan of rock and roll and dark mysteries, you'll want to check out my new podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's part of the Chris Jericho Network on Westwood One. And you just Google it, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, and it'll come up. And, uh, we have um, new episodes drop every Wednesday. And the next episode has to do with, this is a good one, uh, the Beach Boys and the Manson family. That's all I'm going to tell you, the Beach Boys and the Manson family. And also my other podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And um, you can subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com We're going to uh, meet psychic Angela Thomas in uh, in just a very few moments. Angela is she's really an evangelist for professionalism and standardization and integrity in the psychic services industry. And let's face it, there are a lot of psychics out there who are only in it for the money. So I wanted to share this sort of as a lead-in to Angela. I wanted to share this CBC News story I found, um, I guess this happened last year, as a a 26-year-old or a 26-year-long marriage was falling apart and no one to turn to for support, Monica started to look for someone to talk to. She decided to find a psychic and started searching online. Quote, one particular name just constantly kept popping up and so I decided that that it must be a sign and that this is the person I was supposed to speak with. And so I made an appointment and went, she said. At her first session, Monica had her poker face on, but she said the psychic broke her guard down by telling her about memories from her past. Quote, the things she told me in my past, nobody knew. Abandonment, mental and physical abuse, getting married at a very young age, and walking down the aisle thinking I'm making the biggest mistake of my life. Nobody nobody knew that but me. I had never shared that with anybody, so how did she know that? The psychic said she would help solve Monica's problems. 
Monica just wanted a peaceful life for her and her daughter after divorcing her husband. So the psychic put a protection on her and told her the divorce paperwork would be filed without a problem. She was correct. Despite the initial successes, there were red flags. Whereas Monica considered her interactions with the psychic a business relationship, she said the psychic tried to label it a friendship. Nonetheless, Monica found herself calling the psychic whenever something went wrong. And at times, the psychic called her when she said she sensed something was off in Monica's life. The two were in contact two or three times a week, ultimately to the tune of $60,000 over the course of almost two years. After a while, demands to pacify the negative energy started to pick up steam. When Monica's jewelry wouldn't cleanse to, to release the bad vibes, Monica said the psychic demanded she hand them over so she could dispose of them. They were worth $15,000. Monica justified her losses by telling herself she wasn't hurting anyone, and it was all panning out in terms of the psychic's correct predictions. Next, Monica said, came the demand for two $500 gift cards that the psychic used to buy clothes to do a ritual with in order to rid her of a curse. Then were the special candles. Monica refused to give the psychic $2,500 for each candle and instead simply gave her $1,000. The problem is with psychics, you give cash, there's no receipts, she said. The deal breaker came when Monica sold her house. She said the psychic asked for a sacrifice, and Monica assumed she meant a painting or a chair or something similar. She said, no, I want $100,000 from the sale of your home. This was when Monica realized she was being scammed. She put her foot down, cut her losses, and blocked the psychic's number. But that isn't the end of Monica's interest with psychics. She's seeing a new psychic, but says her friends keep her in check to make sure she doesn't fall down the rabbit hole again. That's a CBC story. Angela Thomas is a professional psychic and clairvoyant noted over her 20-plus year career for high accuracy and detail. She's a subject participant in an elite consciousness research study focusing on precognition and has gained an enviable reputation for her psychic work in private sessions for individuals, business leaders, and celebrities. Her work has also included crime victim location and recovery. And she is a vocal advocate for related causes. Her professional website is AngelaThomas.org. And as I say, an evangelist for professionalism and standardization, integrity in the psychic service industry through her co-ownership and collaboration on two groundbreaking websites that embody her ideals. She's co-founder of YourPsychicServicesBusiness.com, which is a business journal with the goal of helping practitioners with information on what it takes to run their businesses professionally. And she's also the host of the show On the Fringe. She's appeared on George Norrie's television show Beyond Belief on the Gaia Network. Two of her featured appearances were Exposing Psychic Scams and Don't Fear the Tarot. She's also co-hosted a popular paranormal topics radio show called Portal, Paranormal Talk Radio on the Paranormal Radio Network for two years. Angela Thomas, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, thank you very much, Richard. I'm doing well. So that account that I just read, that was a CBC News story. That, must, that kind of stuff just must drive you nuts. It does drive me nuts because, you know, one of the things is, you know, most people seek a psychic out because they have a big concern or a major problem in their life. And for someone to go through such a, you know, a turmoil, a divorce of all things, and then to be scammed by somebody, well, that's somebody 
really isn't a psychic. They're just a criminal, uh, you know, pretending to be a psychic. And it infuriates me because, you know, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have an impression that psychics are nothing more than scammers. They don't know anything. And, you know, they'll eventually get ripped off. But uh, uh, that's not the case most of the time. You know, uh, I say most of the time. There's a lot of uh, people claiming to be psychics, and they are scammers. But... There are just as many people out there that are the real deal. Well, how do you separate the um, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak? If someone is looking for a psychic, how do they find mm-hmm. out? How do they determine? How do they research this? Well, you know, we have a powerful tool, you know, to go online. Uh, you know, you can try Google or any other uh, search engines or directories, but I would say to do your homework, because most psychics out there that have a business uh, have been doing this for a long time, and it's easy to find uh, comments about them, whether that's testimonials or whether there's a lot of negative comments uh, about that psychic. So I would just suggest that people uh, research whoever they're going to hire for that service and, you know, it, it, it's great because the person seeking the psychic can feel comfortable with their choice, their ultimate choice. And how does, in, in this case, where Monica, um, she trusted the psychic initially because she seemed to know things about her that nobody else could have known, that, that she was walking down the aisle thinking, I'm making the biggest mistake of my life. She knew about abandonment. She knew about abuse. Is this done with what they call the cold reading technique? How does that work? Well, I mean, I don't know if Monica saw this psychic in person. You know, for me, I rarely get to see people in person. So most of mine are done over the telephone or via Skype. So if in person, uh, there may have been a possibility, you know, to read someone's face or their body language to see if they are accepting or giving any uh, expression on their face that would indicate abuse or depression or whatever the case may be. So most people going down the aisle do feel like, ooh, this might be a mistake. (laughs) You know, but uh, anyway, I I really don't know how uh, scammers do it unless they're just reading the face or reading the body language. Uh, I've read people in person. I don't do cold readings or read the body. I just say, listen, I'm the messenger. And I, you know, I even teach psychic development. So I tell my students, you must be willing to be wrong. So I don't care if the person I'm reading for um, is following along. You know, in other words, I'm not looking for them to stop me and tell me any information. Uh, I just actually, Richard, ask them if they will sit back and stay quiet and listen to the messages. They're free to record the the session that they have with me. But um, I feel that, you know, it's very important for anybody to be able to record and to know the psychic. But, you know, some people, Richard, like to have psychics in person. 
And I think that that's important for them if that's what they need. But I want uh, your audience to know that if they ever do hire a psychic to the service, and if it's, you know, that psychic is all the way across the country or across the world, that most psychics have the ability to deliver the messages without somebody being in person. In other words, they are not working off of that person's physical energy like one psychic would have in front of a client doing a personal in-person reading. Right. That's way that that way they can read body language uh, and, um, and and certain facial cues and so forth. Uh, and that's how, in some cases, these psychics who aren't really psychics are. Oh, I hope are that's scammed. understandable. Absolutely. All right, Angela, stay uh, stay put. We'll come back and continue to uh, uh, delve into. Uh, your psychic abilities, and um, maybe we'll open up the phone lines a little bit later in the hour. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Psychic Angela Thomas is with us. AngelaThomas.org. AngelaThomas.org. So how does how does it work for you, Angela? Do you hear? Do you feel energy? Do you uh, do you communicate with a spirit guide? How does it work for you? Well, I'm a psychic clairvoyant, and so I, you know, I have all of the clair gifts. Uh, but I am highly clear audience, so I do hear a lot of the messages that come to me that I would deliver, let's say, to you if I were reading for you. Um, I do get visions and, you know, a number of psychic impressions. Uh, and then there is an energy exchange, even though there's, you know, you're on one side of the uh, country and I'm on the other, or actually I'm in the U.S., you're in Canada. And so uh, that energy exchange is, still exists. It's just not uh, as physical if I were sitting in front of you. So when you say you hear voices, uh, uh, yes. whose voices? Well, a, a, a number of things. Sometimes I'm hearing it from a spirit guide. Uh, sometimes I'm actually hearing someone's voice that, you know, whether that's male or female, let's say if I were reading for you, I may hear a female voice and I may hear her telling you something, you know, in particular, which I relay the message to you, what the woman will be saying to you so that you recognize what woman I'm talking about. Because sometimes 
I do not always get names. So if I can't say, listen, there's a woman, you know, I'll just say Mary Smith that will be speaking with you, I will say, well, uh, even if there was a lot, you know, if, even if I said Mary, there's a lot of Marys out sure. there. But I would say to you, Richard, this is Mary who will be speaking to you about X, Y, Z. And, and that's the way that you will recognize the Mary I'm speaking about. Right. Now, is mm-hmm. is this then, would this be the voice the, the, from the spirit world? This would be someone who's passed on, passed over? No, no. no. Uh, it's twofold. So with a spirit guide, a spirit guide would be, you know, in the other world, right? The spiritual realm. But if I'm hearing, let's say, going back to the example of Mary Smith, uh, then I'm literally hearing the living, breathing Mary Smith's voice in the very near future. Now, my own readings don't go beyond an 18-month time frame. And so if I said, Richard, between now and the next two months, there is a lady named Mary, and this is what she's communicating to you, uh, then you'll know who I'm talking about. So both the living and the spiritual uh, realms is what I'm hearing. Interesting. All right. Tell me about this um, This study, this elite consciousness research study that you're involved Mm -hmm. with? Well, I've been involved for about 10 years. It is run by uh, Dr. Vernon Neppe. And uh, Dr. Uh, Vernon Neppe is known all over the world. He's considered one of the greatest minds of the 21st century. He holds about nine, maybe 10 degrees, um, half in science, half on the medical side. And so uh, I am one of the psychics that participate in the study of precognition. Precognition, by the way, is the ability to see into the future. And so uh, Dr. Nepi wants uh, the participants to give uh, their predictions, but in a scientific format. He's got a way that he wants us to follow. And so, you know, if let's say I gave a prediction and part of that prediction, um, you know, occurred, maybe I was wrong about the exact location or maybe I was wrong about the timing, then he would not accept that whole prediction as a correct prediction. And so, uh, he he manages the study, and then he uh, is releasing, you know, the results. And he's not releasing it every month, you know, like scientists. They have to study over a certain period of time. And so I do know that he plans to publish those results. And this would be published presumably in a, in a peer-reviewed journal? Uh, yes. So, so, you know, Dr. Neppe is, uh, he speaks a lot about uh, consciousness, the living consciousness, not only your regular scientific topics. And, you know, Richard, one of the things that I feel like Neppe and, and many other scientists uh, out there that are 
speaking of living consciousness and speaking of psychic abilities and and have the research that is showing what the results are. I think that these men and women have a difficult time because they have to satisfy their peers who may not believe in psychics, who may not believe in living consciousness, and at the same time, then they still want to talk about their findings and they still wish to work with other scientists on certain projects regarding psychics and and otherworldly things. I remember talking uh, with Russell Targ, who headed the remote viewing program at the Stanford Research Institute. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he said that there is more evidence that psychic ability is real than there is evidence that aspirin can cure headaches. <laughs> and he is correct about that. And uh, I've spoken with uh, Dr. Targ, and uh, an incredible mind, uh, you know, a wonderful physicist, a retired physicist now. Uh, but he is absolutely correct. Um, I've used uh, remote viewing that uh, Targ and and all of those that participated in the study and and part of Stargate, and I can tell you it works. <laughs> Which protocol do you use? Do you use coordinate remote viewing, or how do you work? I do. I use uh, coordinate uh, remote viewing, and... I am also, which I'm not, I wouldn't say is my best forte, uh, would be associative uh, remote viewing. How does that work? So I actually, I teach psychic development, and uh, I will teach uh, remote viewing, plus I have a couple of other, um, you know, matrices that I use uh, for remote viewing beyond uh, the Stargate one. Now, I, I've always thought of myself as probably the least intuitive person I know. Now, I've taken part in a couple of remote viewing experiments on the air, nothing scientific, but I, I, got, mm-hmm. I think I got lucky once. And a, a remote viewing friend of mine was maybe an hour away from here, a remote location, and he had an object on his desk, and I, uh, it turned out to be a travel clock. Uh, and uh, it was it was red with a white face, and I said something. I described something. I didn't come out and say a clock, but I said something. It's 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 uh, red with white, and I see some black lines and so forth on the white. You know, I didn't put two and two together, but um, that's about as close as I got. How do you? Well, t- I'd say that you did uh, very well, especially if you were live and your mind was still. You know, having to be the host yes, and trying to experiment as well in remote viewing. So I would uh, highly suggest, Richard, that you give it a shot when you're not on air. <laughs> well, how do you teach? I mean, he tries to instruct me. You know, the, the big thing is to get, your, to get your conscious mind out of the way because I'm very analytical. Um, and that's the problem. So how do you teach someone to to develop their psychic abilities. Did we lose her? Angela, are you there? Angela Thomas. Was it something I said? <laughs> I don't know. Well, Sebastian will work to get her back. We've um I know she was on a cell phone. Maybe we 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 lost the cell. Uh but we'll try and get her back. 
Are we going to go to a break here? All right, let's do that. And uh, Angela Thomas will come back, and maybe we can convince her to take some calls as well. We'll also talk about some of her uh, predictions. She posts them on her website, angelathomas.org, and there's uh, quite a list here. Some of them are very precise, very specific. Maybe we'll uh, discuss some of those as well. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Psychic clairvoyant Angela Thomas is with us. We'll uh, get back to that conversation in just a moment. Just some programming notes coming up next week. Uh, which will be the Orthodox uh, Easter. Uh, we have uh, T. Krulos, who's written um, an interesting book that's del- delving into the subculture of real-life superheroes. You want to be uh, listening to the program next week. That's uh, first hour. T. Krulos and real-life superheroes. Uh, then Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us in the, in the second half to talk about uh, the saints in corrupt bodies and miracles and, and relics and so forth. The following week, Chris Stiles... We'll uh, be here to talk about the uh, Shag Harbor UFO incident and uh, Stu Bundy as well. I believe Victor Vigiani will also join us and we'll talk about the uh, the uh, the upcoming uh, Alien Cosmic Expo, which will be here in town in June. And I'll be uh, moderating a panel uh, during that uh, conference as well. And then on the 22nd, uh, the return of David John Oates. We had him on a couple of weeks ago talking about reverse speech, and we promised that he would come back and do two hours. And he's analyzed uh, the speech of a number of people associated with the JFK assassination. So this should be very telling. That's coming up in three weeks. All right, Angela Thomas uh, is with us. And uh, we lost you there momentarily, but we've got you back. I wanted to ask you, I was asking you about remote viewing. And uh, how it is that you can teach people not only to develop remote viewing skills, but also just generally their psychic abilities. Well, as uh, as far as the remote viewing goes, you know, when we look at the program that uh, Dr. Targ was associated with, uh, I go through that that whole thing. Right. I've, I've been familiar with that for a while. Uh, even Paul Smith has shared that method. Targ has shared that method. And so I've taken that method and taught other people how to do it. As far as psychic development goes, you know, I have uh, particular methods and certain techniques that are very simple, and those need to be practiced. So I will have those students in class practice those techniques. And from week to week to week, you can see 
who has practiced and who has not. Uh, so everyone is psychic, and you've heard that probably a thousand times, Richard. But some are scribblers and some are Picassos. And those Picassos are due to their practice and their uh, dedication to the actual work. And it is work. So it's not like, you know, people wake up one day and then suddenly, you know, they're this brilliant mind connecting to the other world and they're, you know, constantly 24-7 on. Uh, but it can be developed. Uh, and as long as you're practicing, uh, you know, one should see the result. Is it related to the pineal gland? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the pineal gland is actually uh, the third eye, and most people have heard of the third eye. And so, uh, or those who are involved with chakras, that's the sixth chakra, the brow chakra. So, yes, it's the pineal gland that gives us the ability to use that third eye. Now, let me just say that many psychics are not literally seeing visions in the third eye. Some do, some don't. Uh, but I can say to you that a lot of psychics just get the impressions or the feelings or the sounds or whatever the case may be, and they give their information. Um, I will be teaching uh, third eye training coming up actually this Thursday <laughs> in Missouri. So, uh, I do offer third eye training and telepathy, uh, precognition, retrocognition, which is great. That's the ability to see in the past. So lots of different subjects, but those are some of the people's favorites for me to teach them. There was a, a, a period in, in uh, the Earth's history, uh, you know, go back to the, the, the time of, of the Bible, the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and there were prophets running around. Uh, what has changed? As someone once described to me, the fact that the, the or they described it as our our our, pine, our pineal glands have become calcified. Is that is that what's happened over time? We, we've become less psychic. Uh, well, for the you know for many people, it is that that pineal gland does become calcified, or you know over the centuries, the pineal gland has actually shrunk. So, uh, you know, I can't tell you I'm not a doctor or a scientist to know why that has occurred, but I'm going to say that many people um, no longer had to use it. If we think about why we have the pineal gland, you know, many tribes, for example, would have someone within the tribe that would be able to forecast the weather or to see if their, uh, let's say, their crops or their cattle would survive. And so they relied upon, let's say, that seer or that shaman uh, or that leader, that tribal leader, to be able to provide information because back then it was absolutely necessary for one's survival, you know, for the tribe of people to survive. Uh, but, you know, we just don't, uh, we, we rely on every other thing but ourselves these days. And so to have that insight for yourself or to feel compelled to use it when most of the time we're getting our information through 24-7 television, 
uh, I think that's one of the, the reasons why the pineal gland has shrunk. But, you know, again, I'm not an expert in that. You'd have to see what the scientists are saying. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fluoride in the water. Well, no, no. I mean, you know, maybe it's, a uh, you know, something that contributes to that. But you go back in history where they didn't have that in the water. <laughs> so as we've gone through the ages, that pineal gland has, like I said, gotten smaller and smaller. It's become atrophied uh, so, because we don't use it like I'm, a muscle, I guess. I'm sorry? I, I guess it's sort of become atrophied because we don't use it. Exactly. Exactly. I want to talk to you about some of your uh, predictions. And I'm a big Van Morrison fan, Van the Man. And I'm seeing here right at the top of your prediction, which you've, predictions, which you've posted uh, at AngelaThomas.org. Uh, these were posted back in January of this year. You said Van Morrison and John Cougar Mellencamp will experience a life threat. Uh, can you elaborate on that at all? And how did that come to you? Well, uh, one of the things as far as a life threat, you know, I, you know, it's exactly what I said it is, you know, that there is some sort of life threat or something life-threatening to both of these uh, wonderful uh, musicians. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say whether or not they will pass from this world, but certainly I can say that this is something that we will hear about in the news. So uh, the way that it came to me was I, I kept on, you know, again, I'm highly clear audience, but I kept on hearing that song, Into the Mystic, by Van Morrison, and I thought, hmm, why am I hearing that song? And so I focused a bit on Van, and this is what came up. And then some time had passed, and uh, I'm seeing visions of uh, John Cougar Mellencamp, and I thought, why am I, you know, getting this with John? So I focused on John, and boom. Uh, very similar life threat uh, information came to me. All right, I want to talk to you about Rwanda. That's another one of your predictions and a re-emergence of uh, that horrible conflict there that left hundreds of thousands of uh, people dead. This yeah. battle between the, the um, Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda. We'll yeah. talk about that. And uh, we'll also take some calls. Uh, Sarah in Oakville is standing by. We'll get to that and more. When the conspiracy show continues, stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416 360 0740 or toll free at 1 866 740. 4 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Angela Thomas is with us. Psychic clairvoyant. One of the uh, predictions. This is uh, this is horrible to even contemplate because, um, well, about 24 years ago, we had the uh, Rwandan genocide, where the um, the ruling Hutu majority there slaughtered somewhere between a half a million and a million of um, members of the Tutsi a Tutsi uh, minority. And you see something re-emerging in Rwanda. Uh, that's correct, Richard. And again, you know, that could be any time from January when I made that prediction to 18 months uh, beyond January 2018. And so um, it is a concern. I, You know, I certainly do recall the... Uh, the horrible losses uh, in Rwanda, and actually I was watching television one morning and saw um, some reporter on the street, uh, and some pretty nasty things occurred right behind him, which he wasn't aware of, and so I remember that very well. Uh, but I am concerned for Rwanda, and that whole region, you know, I, I just feel it's very... Uh, uh, volatile, and I do feel like it's very explosive among the people. All right. Uh, Sarah is in Oakville, and she'd like to speak with you. Sarah, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I have two questions. Uh, one, do you see me getting involved in a legal issue this year? And uh, is there any kind of message that you have for me that you think would be important for me to know? Well, hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for your question. And, Sarah, you know, I'm not an astrologer. I do not care about your year of birth. But what's your month and day of birth, please? August 10th. August 10th. I love that. Okay, so, Sarah, uh, your question was regarding whether or not uh, you would get uh, involved in something legal this year. And I am going to say to you that I feel that as you're getting closer to uh, September, October of this year, that that's when I feel like things are starting to um, go more rapid towards a legal situation. Uh, so I would say between now and, let's say, June, July, there's really not a lot of uh, movement, whether that's on your part or somebody else's part. But I will say September, October um, begins what I feel like is more of a, a uh, momentum towards a legal situation. Um, I have to say to you, though, that on your birthday, officially, you'll actually be in a justice cycle. So it wouldn't surprise me to hear from you later to say from you know, even into the following 2019, that you're still not handling not only what is concerning you legally today, but also that there would be something else legal coming up. And that something else legal coming up can be just as minor as, uh, you know, assigning somebody, let's say, authority like a power of attorney or needing to get a stamp or a seal on a document. Uh, so, I feel like, you know, Sarah, you're going to be getting things in order anyway, and you're going to be putting together your documents and evidence anyway. 
So I think it's just probably uh, a natural step for that secondary legal situation. All right, Sarah. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish okay. up there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just I wanted to move fairly quickly because we had a lot of people waiting. But Sarah, thank All you right, for that. So it's been lovely uh, reading for you, and God bless you. Uh, let's say hi to Patricia in Markham. Good morning, Patricia. Oh, hello, Angela. Hello, Richard. Um, hi hello, there. Patricia. I was finding um, in the last like time lately, like everything with my health and finances have not been going very well, and I wondered if things would be changing or improving or getting worse in that same department. And my birthday is December 25th. December 25th? The 25th. Oh. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. So one of the things that I can tell you is, is that I feel that there is going to be probably about a six-month uh, period between now and the next six months where things are moving a little bit slower than usual or just slower than you prefer them to be. Um, but after the six-month mark, I can say to you that things do begin to pick up. Things are improving for you in not just one area of your life, but quite a few areas of your life. And by the way, I'm to tell you that you will not be going it alone. I feel like you've got a couple of females stepping in to maybe do a little bit of collaboration. Uh, but I feel like they're doing collaboration with you, not only for themselves to improve, but to honestly to help you out. So God bless you. Thank you very much for calling. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, let's say hi to Bill in Cambridge. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. I'm having a problem with uh, back pain and uh, pain in my uh, hips and legs and feet. Do you see getting some help for this in the coming 18 months or so? Okay. Well, thank you very much for your question. What's your month and day of birth, please? It'd be August the 23rd. August the 23rd. Okay. So one of the things is, is, you know, it doesn't take a psychic to tell you that you can, you know, give your medical professionals a call uh, to do that. But I can say that I feel like you um, are, you know, kind of putting one foot in the water instead of kind of jumping full force into what can be done for especially the back area. And so it might be just your natural inclination to say, listen, I'm going to do what I can and I don't want to do any sort of major thing. I am going to tell you, though, that I feel like whatever is west of you, uh, as far as medical professionals, clinics, uh, specialists, and things of that nature, I feel like between right now and probably June time frame uh, that you will go and visit, um, I'm going to call it a special place west of where you are, that will help to relieve your uh, your back and your joints and things of this nature. I can say that overall in the next 18 months, I don't feel like that is going to go away. You know, in other words, those problems will still exist. However, I do find that there's a significant improvement on that. So thank you very much for calling in tonight. All right, Bill. Good luck with that. Uh, Irene is in Mississauga. Good evening. Good morning, Irene. Hi, Irene, are you there? My birthday is November 1st, and uh, I have 
quite a bit of uh, legal responsibilities. And uh, I would like to know if I'm going to have any help or can I manage it? It is just too much for me. Okay. So one of the things, uh, and thank you very much for your question, uh, one of the things I can tell you is uh, I've got good news and bad news. And the bad news would be that I don't see a lot of help coming in at this time. I am going to say, however, that once you reach the two-month mark from this this particular date, so April, May, June, uh, so between now and June, I need to say to you that I do feel like you are getting some relief on that side, that you're getting some sort of assistance. But I want to, to let you know that I don't feel uh, that, you know, somebody is going to come to your rescue and, and take all of the burden off. But by June, then you're going to see some, some bigger relief. And you're going to have what I'm going to call a professional, somebody with some sort of expertise and knowledge about this situation, aid you. So uh, good luck with that, and God bless you. All right, Irene, good luck with that. Now, uh, how does that work with the dates? When you, when you, does this involve numerology? You said you're not an astrologer, but why is the, the date of birth important? Well, the reason, it's twofold, Richard. Uh, my number one reason is, is so I can focus on that particular person uh, that's meant to be. And then secondly, I like to use the month and day of birth to um, match it to the major arcana of tarot. And so tarot, you know, being those cards that are very symbolic that people have used for years. And so that tells me um, how that individual um, makes his or her decisions, let's say financially or legally or romantically or whatever uh, the case may be. And so I know what kind of influences are coming their way. And so that's, uh, that's why I ask for the month and day of birth, just so I know what the influences are as well. Um, and normally in a private session, I would just tell this individual, this is your, your growth, your uh, prediction influence, and here, go look it up. You know, here, go look up this major arcana so you can find out all kinds of information about it. But um, that's how I approach it. As far as the... Um, timing goes, I can say to you, I've been doing this a long time, precognition, you know, predictions, and so I will either hear a month or see a month in my mind or get a, uh, you know, like between now and three weeks or three months or whatever the case may be, and so that's how it works for me as far as timing goes. And sometimes I do get seasons, but because I am an 18-month uh, predictor. Um, sometimes, if I say it's you know next next spring or could be this spring, you you understand. So, right, right. Uh, that's why I give a a certain time frame. All right, Debbie's in Toronto. Debbie, go ahead. Good morning. Angela, how are you? Very well. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, since 2010, my life's been major changes, and not all of them good. Do you ever see me with a spouse again? All right, and what's your month and day of birth for me, please? Uh, December 27th. December 27th, I really love that birthday for you. Okay, so um, I am going to say, let's see, 
15, I can say to you that between right now and the next 18 months, I really don't see you walking down that, you know, church aisle or getting married at this time. But I am going to say that you will have somebody special in your life. And so when I say somebody special in your life, that that would be that individual that, you know, you would um, see on a regular basis, as in see in the same place, uh, see in person. It wouldn't be, you know, some sort of online uh, relationship going on. Um, but I can say between now and the next 18 months, I don't see any sort of weddings uh, occurring with you. So uh, things are looking up, though. So God bless you. All right, Debbie, good luck with that. And, um, well, we just got about a minute and a half here. Let me... My date is Jan 12th. I need to ask you. I, I have a, so many projects on the go, uh, in particular two podcasts. Uh, they're just taking up so much of my time. Are those going to fly? Um, I can tell you that the uh, podcast certainly will. Um, but I am going to say to you, uh, Richard, that you too are not going to go it alone. In fact, I find uh, not one but two others involved in those podcasts. And so when I say involved, that could be from a production point of view, or it can be somebody's marketing it for you or promoting it for you. But I don't see you trying to do everything yourself. In fact, I've got to tell you, your own career is taking off big time. Uh, and not to say that it's not big time right now, Richard, but I'm talking about bigger than what you anticipate. So I am going to say to you that between now and the next 12 months, this is where you'll find that your career skyrockets even more and that you are expanding even more in two different directions, too. So two different directions can be not only radio broadcasting, but also television broadcasting. And that's over and above podcasting. Excellent. Great to hear. Thank you for that. That made my night. AngelaThomas.org is the website. Angela, is there a phone number quickly you can give us? Yes, it's 636-485-4814. All right, we'll post that on the the website as well. Thank you again, Angela. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. My thanks to Sebastian, Albert, and uh, Ryan. They're not here, but thank you guys. Back next week with a brand new program. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.